It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Sandy Rios with you, coming to you live again from the Anato Hotel in Dallas, Texas. This is such a beautiful place. It really is. And uh, I was just at the uh, its sister hotel in Orlando and had that that water like thing that you can ride around an inner tube. And it's well, it's hard to explain, but it's beautiful. And uh, that's not what people are doing in the exhibition hall. <laughs> Although maybe it might make it enjoyable if they made it water and people could go on inner tubes. But uh, this is CPAC, and so everybody's dressed up and they're not doing that kind of thing. But it's a real pleasure to be here. I hope you've been following it. Uh, on television and uh, online any way that you possibly can. The byline for this uh, summer's CPAC in Dallas is America Uncancelled. America Uncancelled. We are fighting back. We are not going to be cancelled. And uh, it, I, I actually believe we may not be based on the interactions I've had with lots of wonderful people so far this week. Um, I met one yesterday. I met Brooke before, but uh, really got to connect with her yesterday. Brooke Rollins was the domestic policy advisor for President Donald Trump, and I met her in that capacity some time ago. But now she is, uh, let's just say she is a femme fatale, and she's not done. And she sits across from me this morning. Good morning, Brooke. Well, good morning, Sandy. What a gift and a great blessing to be with you today. And I agree on the beautiful water parks. I think, man, maybe when we finish, we should all go do a little lazy river on the tubes. I think, I think so. Wouldn't that be nice? And sing Kumbaya and hold hands. Yes. Brooke, you're going to speak on stage in a few minutes. What are you going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about the fight for America and how it continues post-Trump White House. Uh, I had the amazing blessing and incredible gift of, as you mentioned, being his domestic policy advisor. I worked right alongside him for three years implementing his agenda. Before that, I was here in Texas, uh, born and raised here, small town girl from Glen Rose on the plains of, of, uh, of West Texas, went to Texas A&M and really thought my role would be in this state and fighting for Texas and for freedom here and never expected in a million years to be in the West Wing. I never had even met Donald Trump, frankly, but obviously saw in that first year what a fighter he was. And when he invited me to join his team um, in year two and then stayed for year three and four and fully ready for term two, uh, we were all in. And I I will tell you that obviously the headwinds were very strong, uh, impeachments and government shutdowns and pandemics. And I mean, just one thing after another from the Democrats and the media. But we never stopped fighting. And so that fight continues. So now leading the America First Policy Institute, uh, continuing the transformative policies of the last four years and, and frankly, continuing the fight for freedom for this country. Yeah, Brooke, I, yesterday I I did not know you were from such a small town in Texas. And it's interesting because I'm from a really small town in Illinois. I thought, but you beat me. 
I mine was six thousand. I thought oh, I had no. a record. That's the big time. <laughs> the big time. I had population twelve hundred. Uh, I think it was maybe eight hundred when I was growing up. Now it's gone up to twelve hundred. Now I want to ask you something. Okay, so so you you are an attorney. Also, you have incredible credentials, and you had the Texas headed the Texas Policy Foundation down here for a long time. Made it put it on the map, uh, but. Um, <laughs> Okay, small fellow, small town girl. Uh, what do you think that raised, being raised in a small town has? How has that equipped you to do what you're doing? You know, I think about that all the time, and I think about what a gift. Even when I walked into the West Wing, I mean, I am a small town girl from Glen Rose, Texas, who studied agriculture at Texas A&M. <laughs> I, I couldn't be more sort of rural country. But you don't look real country. Well, you look very no, city chic. I don't know. What I'm, happened to you? I still have the big hair from all those years ago <laughs> in Glen Rose. But walking in that White House with a lot of New York real estate guys, yes. I mean, it was a, yeah. it was a different experience. But at the end of the day, um, the, the grit and the fight and the love for your country yes. and your family that you get in small towns. And listen, I was raised by a single mom. Uh, we didn't have a very, you know, illustrious growing up. That money was incredibly tight. We didn't have much, but we had each other. And I think every single day, my mom and my two sisters and myself, the four of us, every single day, I think what a blessing that was and how it did equip me to do what I never expected to do, which was to work in the White House and advise the president and build these conservative organizations all these years. But uh, but it really does go back to my time in Glen Rose, my time in the future farmers of America, my time raising animals, uh, all the things you're able to do like in real small life, towns. Real life real stuff. Life. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So um, would you say that economics was the thing, though, that rang your chimes? I mean, that's what I pick up. Texas policy, if it's like Illinois policy, the policy institutes are pretty much economic driven. That's right? right. And so would you say that's been your main your main uh, you know it's interesting and why because because you came up hard when I was maybe but when I was growing up I had a real heart for uh, mission work and I really thought I'd go to seminary and once I finished I had a a scholarship to Texas A&M we didn't have any money I was a big as I mentioned FFA or in 4-H'er and so ag paid for my way through Texas A&M and I really thought I may go into seminary right after I finished my undergraduate and what I realized is that I could help so many more people um, with with conservative public policy, fighting for more freedom and less government. And ultimately, I believe that's where God wanted me was, as much as I would have loved to have pastored in a church or been a youth leader, that at the end of the day, not really understanding ever I would be in a White House or running a big major <laughs> conservative organization or be a spokesperson for all these issues, but there was just a real tug for me in my heart. And how do you help the most people. And what I realized is that our ideas of less government, lower taxes, more freedom, prosperity for all, not tying people to the backs of government and government welfare, that from my perspective was truly what Jesus really was calling me to do and what God had in mind. And and that's how I became a conservative. And then deciding that we could fight for those issues and building the Texas Public Policy Foundation and using Texas as a model for the country that if you really want to lift people up in the way that Christ, you know, in Matthew talks about, mm-hmm. do what you do for the least of, of you, you do for me. Uh, that was the fight for me. It always was. It always has been. It always will be. And so the economic, to your question, mm-hmm. that's really how you change people's lives. Yes. And I think I think there has to be pointed out that 
our God is a God of justice, and that justice has been, the whole notion, the whole word has been so perverted. It's what's right and what's wrong. It's justice for people regardless of color. It's uh, the January 6th detainees. It's, uh, it's Donald Trump being, being uh, you know, persecuted by the press. It's, it, that's, you know, that's wrong, and it's unjust. And, so, and the money thing, spending too much money and spending our children's money for the future, that's injustice. So it's all related. We make it too that's small. Right. We make the, the, the whole thing too small. Brooke, um, you're America First Policy Foundation in D.C. has really come along. And I think you guys started, I believe I heard that you started in January, but you didn't, I didn't really know much about it until a few months ago. So I've already entertained a couple of your, your pundits. You've got a great lineup. Incredible. But the thing that you're doing that's really making headlines right now is suing. Uh, you're helping Donald Trump sue through a, a class action suit, uh, Google right. and Facebook. Facebook and Twitter. That's right. The, and their CEOs. That's okay, right. so talk to me about that. Uh, how, how, does a how does that work as a class action? Well, I tell you, it's really interesting. We announced this lawsuit two days ago in Bedminster. I was standing next to the president. Obviously, my time in the White House, we were astounded with the absolute censorship that was coming our way from these platforms, which had grown so powerful and so strong. And basically, you know, those three companies control the public narrative. And even if they can deplatform a sitting president of the United States, while at the same time allowing the head, you know, terrorist organizations and Iran leadership yes. to stay on these platforms, it was just abominable to in from my perspective so how do we change that and as a former a practicing attorney I did a federal clerkship at my old TPPF I launched a civil litigation organization there I'd long believed that the left has used the judiciary to put forward their radical ideas and the right you know we don't like suing we don't like plaintiffs attorneys we I, may, I led a big tort reform effort in Texas for years that was successful to open up our economy and not be you know tied up by attorneys but at the end of the day we've got to fight and if we'll fight in the legislatures we'll fight in the public square as well but it's time for these these companies that are basically censoring Americans and using the First Amendment and Section 230 to do it it's time for them to be held accountable so God bless Donald Trump who really most presidents will be like yeah yes. I'm gonna sit here and write my memoir exactly. and you know and, and, and make a bunch of money giving speeches when we talked to him about this concept he said I am all in and the beautiful thing about it Sandy is that it is a class action which our side has never really used as a tool before but since we announced this lawsuit we have had 40,000 people sign up on our wow. website telling their stories of censorship 40,000 all right so how let's talk about where that website is because you're gonna get we're gonna get you several more thousand here well that's amazing so <laughs> our our take on big tech.com take on big tech.com is where you can go to tell your story and to sign up. Okay. And of course, we've got lots of team members now filtering through those. Does but that make you part of the lawsuit? Well, it could if if the attorneys who are reviewing it believe okay, okay. that you've so got a you, cause. You have a cause. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. We'll, we'll go through a okay. vetting process. The well, that's good to know, though. This is this is because people ask me all the time. They write me and they say, "I've been kicked off Twitter." What can I, I do? Well, I can't do? You know, it's just me. So well, that's I, it. I, and I tell you, that was the president's deal. He said, "Listen, I'm a former president. I have mm -hmm. resources. I can take on these people, these these companies." But but Jen, the school teacher from Michigan, right. who just asked a question about whether her children should wear masks, gets deplatformed. Yeah. Or the family in Florida who loses a son to illegal 
um, aliens to a really sad murder, and they are asked the question and use the term illegal aliens, and they get censored? I mean, these critical race theory postings, they get pulled down asking whether hydroxychloroquine is beneficial, which now we know it is, but back, you know, a year ago, they were censoring people for saying that. That's not okay, but those people don't have the resources to take on Goliath, and and so we are going to take them on. And they've done such harm, such harm, and the the Congress, I'm so fed up with them. Uh, But, uh, Brooke, I want to ask you personal questions about the president, because uh, it's Mm -hmm. obvious to those of us, uh, you know, I've been with him once in a meeting in the White House, you were there, Uh, so I'm not an expert, I don't work with him, but uh, the mystery is, of course, how a man who who came up with so much uh, material wealth and so much uh, privilege, mm-hmm. <laughs> to use a horribly twisted word, uh, but he did, uh, is so sensitive to common people. Why, why does he understand us and why does he care so much? What do you think? You know, it was really fascinating, Sandy, and I love talking about this because those of us that have worked with him side by side for three years, he's obviously a, a tough boss, but a good boss, a, a fair boss. Uh, he was incredibly respectful and it, just an amazing person to work with. And he gave me, we had so many working moms on senior staff. Yes, you did. He More than any other yes, any other president Fine. and got Absolutely so much fa- done. Pheno- phenomenal women. Uh, amazing women. And I don't know his heart. I saw it firsthand in our criminal justice reform work. Mm-hmm. I saw it when we'd go visit farmers who'd been decimated by mm-hmm. the weather. I saw it with when we did Right to Life. Um, you know, people workers in hospitals. Workers in hospitals. His his heart is unbelievable. Soldiers, their yeah, families. That's exactly I mean, really, right. That's what I've seen. And too. it was one thing after another. And and I've just I've never seen anyone who's willing to fight for the people who can't fight for themselves more than Donald Trump. Yeah. So. All right, so now this America First Policy Count, what other kinds of things do you have in mind well, that you can we share? Well, launched, we launched the America First Policy Institute uh, a little over three months ago. The concept was how do we continue the transformational policy work of the last four years. Larry Kudlow is my partner in this. He ran the Economic Council. I ran the Domestic Council. And, and when we started talking about this, it was really in the context of the fact that, all right, it doesn't look like whether fair or not. We're going to be here on January 21st. And so we can't just all split into different directions and, and stop. I mean, the, the amazing thing about the Donald Trump administration, too, was this. We really were like the founding of the country where you left your farm, which is very meaningful to me, <laughs> not just metaphorically, but literally you left your farm, you went to serve, and then you went back to your farm. And so that's that's who we were in the Trump administration, unlike most other, even Republican administrations, but certainly Democrat, where you're part of the swamp and it's just kind of a cycle. But but all of the farmers uh, who were there with Trump, and I mean that metaphorically, all the fighters that were there, uh, we said, how do we keep the band together and how do we keep fighting for these issues, school choice, health care freedom, an economy for all, criminal justice reform, national security, Middle East peace, you know, all of the issues that we had achieved so much, how do we keep that going? And that's where the America First Policy Institute was born. And you've got some great staff, as I've already Incredible. said, and we've, we've just... Uh, touched on it a little bit. I think I hear music in the background, but I'm not <laughs> sure because it's very low, but you got to go speak. And, i got to um, go speak, Sandy. Yeah, yeah. What so, a gift so to Brooke be with you. So, knock it out of the park. And thank you. Listen, God bless you. God bless God you, bless too. You. He's got his hand on you. And, oh, uh, thank you. I just am encouraged. It's like uh, the patriots are finding each other. That's right. It's and a brand not, new day in America. We're not That's giving right. up. Amen. Hi, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All 
right, Sandy Rios back with you from this beautiful hotel, the Anatole in Dallas, Texas. Uh, where uh, we're next to the stage, really. It's right behind me. I can't hear anything in there, but I know it's going on. Kevin Freeman, have you watched anything this morning? You see anything on main stage? No, I've been doing interviews you've been, all morning. You've been doing interviews. Yep. I can't imagine why. Are you doing your broadcast from here today? Well, we recorded here. We You're don't do, do live. Yeah, yeah, yes. Well, that's what... This is, this is pre-recorded because Saturdays we don't broadcast, do we? No. Oh. Kevin Freeman is my good friend, but uh, that's not his claim to fame. He is the host of Economic War Room uh, for Blaze TV. And um, he talks about, he has been for years, because Kevin has talked to me for years about weaponizing money, about the, the, the value of the dollar, the, the Chinese trying to take over you know, the world currency and all of this. Kevin, it's so complicated that I have to always like start with ground zero. But first of all, how are you? I'm great. Yeah. I, I got to speak yesterday at CPAC, and I don't get to do that very often, so I enjoyed that. What did you talk about? Uh, energy and how the energy policy of America is being driven by socialist Marxists and really the Middle East. That is just, that's jaw-dropping. I mean, the, the hubris for, for Joe Biden to sh- shut down the Keystone Pipeline and while allowing the pipeline then to be grown, you know, uh, taken from Russia through Europe and to put our allies in such a bind and have them working with Russia and now we can't get energy and now Canada's suing us for what, billions of dollars? The Keystone Pipeline is suing billion, us for 15 yeah. billion. And the American taxpayers are going to pay for it. Meanwhile, our gasoline is skyrocketing. It really is shocking. It's just shocking. And that's only half the coin. The other side of the coin is, is that they've taken over Wall Street and divested 14 trillion dollars from the fossil fuel industry over the past decade. Literally, they said you can't invest in this because it doesn't meet ESG criteria. And the other thing that they've done is, you won't believe it, but there were three directors elected to the ExxonMobil board. ExxonMobil, you know, good Texas-based corporation. Three directors who believe that fossil fuel use is evil and must be banned from the face of the earth. Directors of the largest American energy company. ExxonMobil. ExxonMobil. And they did it because people have invested their money in index funds. They you know, bought into the index fund. And BlackRock and others, Larry Fink at BlackRock and others, uh, have this woke agenda. And they're u- literally using the votes, the proxy votes of the shareholders for their ESG, woke, anti-American agenda. All right, so we've discussed this before, I know, and it's so elementary for you, you must get sick of repeating it. And I don't know how we Americans ever got to the point where we're so ignorant economically, but we are. I think only a small segment of people understood what you just said. So like proxy voting, that's something that anybody, like people with uh, IRAs, with investments, they all do proxy voting, isn't that right? If you own shares of a company, you're an owner and you get to elect and vote for the board of directors and also any corporate initiatives. They'll put them up on ballot, and once a year you get to vote those those initiatives. And so people vote, you expect, I'm gonna vote for directors who are gonna look after my interests. That's what Milton Friedman taught us. That's the American way, is <laughs> that you serve the shareholders of a corporation if they're the owners. And so you try and give them good dividends, the best possible returns, and so you invest in those stocks that are gonna serve your interests. The Biden administration has come out and said, we don't believe in shareholder capitalism, we believe in stakeholder capitalism. Stakeholder meaning, well, the employees, good, yes, you should serve the employees. The customers, absolutely serve the customers. Uh, Society at large, now wait a minute. I understand why the corporation's purpose is to 
deliver profits and yeah you have to take care of your employees or they'll quit and yes you better take care of your customers but all of that is under the idea of the profit motive the biden administration says profit should not be the motive the motive should be to serve society at large in other words this is socialism through the back door now kevin the first time i saw this happening and unfolding a long time ago was cnn CNN was the first, you know, 24-7 cable company, and it was an amazing success story, and they must have made a lot of money for Ted Turner. Uh, but suddenly, CNN, suddenly, over the course of time, CNN, you know, became the, uh, the voice of the left, I mean, early on, and then worse and worse, and then the international voice, and having been overseas a lot, I could tell you it was dreadful 20 years ago. So then they started losing losing listenership because right. Fox came on the scene and there were other alternatives of news and people began to realize that they weren't telling the truth. So they started bleeding listeners and yet they're still going. They're still going. They still have all of their offices. They're still in airports. So that's a big company that obviously did this early on. It was, how do they survive? They went against the interest of their shareholders and they went for the woke agenda. And they're part of the cabal, literally the globalist group that says we've got to remake, we've got to bring America down to the level of everybody else, and we've got to remake the world in this literally Marxist socialist agenda. But how did they how did they survive economically? Are, are the big the big the deep pockets of like the, the Soros's and others helping them to limp same, along? Same way Washington Post is surviving because Jeff Bezos came New along York Times. and bought it. Yeah that, it, it, it is because the, Target. it is the stakeholder capitalism idea that your job is to put out the propaganda. It is not to get the highest ratings or get the best returns. You know, this this has been done in other countries, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, and Venezuela. Not, yeah, Venezuela, where they co-opted the companies and turned them against the people. But yeah. let me tell you about Venezuela. One thing most people don't realize, Hugo Chavez absolutely was born to uh, to teachers that didn't make high salaries and he didn't make a whole lot of money his family was relatively poor and so we had this populist message of the venezuela one of the wealthiest countries on the planet by natural resources more oil than saudi arabia so he said yeah we need to spread the wealth around and that's and how he was going to do it was he's going to nationalize industries and of course we've seen what that's done it drove people out it's caused their currency to collapse to to where it's nothing they they just lopped off three zeros off the currency, I think. They just said, we're going to just wipe out, maybe it was six, eight. Literally, they've hyperinflated their currency so much that they're having to take and remove zeros from the end of it. Like a $100 bill is now a dollar. It's like Zimbabwe. Yeah, same thing. So, But Hugo Chavez's daughter, he died, but his daughter's alive. She inherited, and she has $4 billion of cash in American banks. $4 billion U.S. dollars of cash in American banks. And that's just her cash portion of her investments. How did she become one of the wealthiest women in the world if the goal was socialism and to spread the wealth? Well, we thievery. The that. Thievery. Thievery. Yeah. It's, it's the same thievery every time. Thievery. Every, all right, so Kevin, <laughs> now, I have never seen you so upbeat. I really haven't. You, you have been, uh, since I was on radio in the 90s, I think, I think, late 90s, maybe in Chicago, I think is when I first interviewed you. Um, you have been very down on currency and debt and all of this, and how could you not be with the knowledge that you have? Do you have some hope? Is there? Do I see hope in your face? Is we, that possible? 
Well, yes, there's hope. His name is Jesus. <laughs> Absolutely. We believe in the Lord. Maybe yes, we're we closer. You know, it's one of two things. <laughs> there was a Charlie Brown cartoon forever ago that, that said the goal of life is to own a lake and a convertible. Because if it's raining, at least it's filling up your lake. And, and if it's sun shining, then you own a convertible. You go out and drive around. <laughs> Look, if things get worse, Jesus is coming. And if things get better, things get better. And we do have Pope. We're working here in Texas on a bill, uh, a program that would replace the monetary system of the world very easily. It's constitutional and it's uh, all the elements are pretty close to being in place to making it happen. And it would change the world. Is Texas seriously considering seceding? I don't think I, I don't think that that is a serious consideration at this point. If things get worse, then then that will rumble up. But but I you know there's a big political battle going on here. But I, I don't think secession. Right. But I do think we can create a constitutional monetary system. In the Constitution, it says that no state shall create currency unless it's gold and silver coins. Really? But that means you can create gold and silver coins as currency. And we have a bullion depository to where anybody anywhere in the world can put gold or silver on deposit in the state of Texas. Now you add to that the blockchain, which is underlying Bitcoin, so you can keep track of it. And you could put 10 ounces of gold, which would be, you know, $18,000. You could deposit that in Texas. And then we could issue you a card, a debit card, where you could have it translated into U.S. dollars or any other currency. Walk into your local coffee shop and you could take one one thousandth of an ounce of gold and buy a cup of coffee. Unless it's Starbucks and then it's probably two one thousandths of of an ounce of gold. And, And you could literally take... The problem with that historically has been that you can't transact gold without having a capital gain or loss, according to the IRS. But my my statement in response, if Texas follows the Constitution and issues gold and silver coins evidenced by a debit card using the blockchain, how can the IRS tax constitutional currency? They shouldn't. And so Texas is going to stand up. I was just talking to some uh, state reps yesterday, they're going to stand up and demand that the IRS not, which means that you could own gold and silver without the fear of capital gain or loss taxation. Money from around the world will flood into Texas. This will change the world. Could other states do the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And okay. they could do it so. with Texas in conjunction. So th- would this bypass banks? It would to a certain degree, yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that be nice too? I mean, yeah. when it, it's more constitutional than the Federal Reserve notes that we carry in our pocket. That wow. That says this is good for all debts, uh, you know, legal tender for all debts, public and private. This is more constitutional. It's written Article One, Section Ten. One thing I've noticed this conference, because of the meetings that I've said, and it weren't necessarily they're extra conference, uh, is the entrepreneurial thinking of so many people. There's so much potential still in this country. Just needs to be unleashed, and I think that's what, of course, President Trump wanted to do. You wanted to unleash the potential. It's still there. That's what's frustrating, isn't it? And we've got this out of control Biden administration uh, just doing well, out of control, in control. You know, trying to control us to uh, everything that we do, and trying to squelch and harm and uh, and uh, force people to to do what they want them to do. I just I just wonder, can can they pull this off? You think, Kevin? Well, I think we can pull it off. No. In the end. It, it's our money, it's our country, 
States have rights, and if we stand up, when a bully comes in, you got to stand up to the bully. If yes. we stand up to the bully, we can make a difference. So we're teaching people economic war room. We're teaching people to weaponize their money so that they tell ExxonMobil, no longer. You represent us. You work for us. And so we're training financial advisors at Liberty University. We will train 10,000 financial advisors in five years, weaponizing $1 trillion of capital. That'll change the world. Boy, Liberty has just done, under Dave Bratt's leadership, economic, uh, economic uh, dean of economics, um, he's done some incredible things, and I'm, he's brought you on, and it's just uh, it's amazing to see, not only the legal department, but also people that are being trained in, in economics. Uh, it's just like there's, I just see the earth, earth parched when it comes to conservatives who understand that stuff. And so you guys are doing a great service. Thank you. All right, so what what's coming up next on your show, Kevin? What kinds of things are you going to be turning right, your mind this, to? This one, we have the solution. We've talked about the solution. If we don't go to, to constitutional currency, there is something called programmable money. The Chinese have developed a digital yuan, and the Federal Reserve is developing a digital dollar. What that means is when you get it, it's going to seem really convenient and really nice. It is handing over control to the worst people ever. So you get a digital yuan from China and they can tell you, hey, you're only able to spend it for the next 90 days and then it expires. Or they'll tell you it won't be good for 90 days. Or they can tell you you can spend it in this location. If you stay within five miles of your home, you can spend it. But if you go more than five miles, you can't spend it. Or they could look at your weight and they could say, you know what, you can't have a McDonald's today. So you can't spend at McDonald's, but you can go to the health food store. The level of control with a digital currency is off the charts. That's why we need a constitutional alternative. That's our whole show is called Programmable Money, okay. and it's about that. The other thing that's a scary thing is is the terms of service on, on software companies. Those are the things we covered in Economic Forum this you, week. You know, I just, uh, this is not economic money, but, uh, but anytime you do things online, it is so, uh, I'm just flying here. We paid, this is a silly thing, but it's just an illustration. We, I paid for my baggage online through American Airlines, got to the airline, they have no record of it. And I have to get on the plane because I'm running late because they messed up outside of the curb. And so I have to pay for the bags again. again. My husband had to pay again. And there's no, and they, they say, there's nothing. It didn't come in. We don't see it online. So you trust, you know, your transactions. Uh, and they're supposed to be able to see everything, but that they can't see. And, and they've got you over a barrel because you are, you know, you're in a hurry. You're flying. And where's your proof of this? And you think, well, I did it online. So uh, that's just a little microcosm of what you're talking Imagine about. Imagine what control. happens with a vaccine passport. Yeah. Oh, oh, then yes. you got to take another vaccine because we don't have oh, record of it. Yes. And all of the dangers, all the issues. Yes, that that is a problem that we're facing, and it's it's big data, and big data is always right, but they're not. No, no, they're not. They're never right. It's a disaster. It really is, and we. How we ever got to this point and turned our freedoms, it's just because it was easy. I remember when the internet started, I know you do too, Kevin. It's like I thought, how is that ever going to work? It seems so cumbersome. And then it just got to be so convenient. Yeah. And so we gave up a lot of our freedoms uh, for convenience, and I think that's why we're here. Well, Microsoft has new terms of service. Everybody ought to look at it because they moved us off. You used to buy a Microsoft product, you'd open it up, and you'd plug it in your computer. 
Now, the terms of service say they can cancel you for hate speech, and they can look at your computer, and they own everything on your computer. That's, it's very encouraging. Thank you. I knew you'd get to something depressing before we finish. <laughs> Kevin Freeman, economic, that's what I'm accused of all the time. Economic War Room, uh, you can watch him on the Blaze, uh, Blaze Television. He does a great job. It's always a pleasure to see you, Kevin. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm smiling because I trust Jesus too. I think that is the biggest reason, for sure. I know it's the biggest reason. Thanks for joining me this Thank morning. You, Sandy. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Hi, Sandy Rios back with you for this last segment today. And again, we're coming from the very noisy Anatole Hotel. People are, uh, there's just people from all over. I think they have 5,000 people here this time uh, in uh, Dallas, Texas for CPAC for the America Uncancelled event, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I've met a lot of interesting people, and so this gentleman just wandered by, and he's talking mm. about something that I'm very interested in, and that's uh, anti-Semitism in the country right now. Dr. Anthony Harper is uh, with Intermountain Christian News, and uh, now, Anthony, I'm a little unclear, so I'm going to ask you on the mic again. You work for the Biden administration, you work with the Biden administration, I work at the White House as a journalist, so uh, of course they don't pay me, and uh, you know, so I'm just working there uh, as a journalist to report for not only the Intermountain Christian News, but an Israel News Service. Okay. Because of what I do on anti-Semitism, it's important for me to be connected to, to Israel, and uh, this Israel News Service is called Newsreel. Okay. That people can get an app for their phone uh, for okay. the Newsreel app. But, okay. Um, Anyway. So do they do they give you credentials and let you in at the briefings and all of that? So yeah, I have credentials uh, through the Intermountain Christian News primarily, and I've been there ten years. Obama administration making them nervous as well. <laughs> yeah, anti-Semitism is on the rise, and that's what you you said. It is you, on the rise. Yeah, it's yeah. terrible. Um, what is your besides the fact that you are, first of all tell me your Christian background? It doesn't. I just curious, just so I know where you're coming from. Uh, are you a pastor? Or well, I am a Southern Baptist chaplain, okay. and, but I've been involved with the ministry for quite quite some time. Okay. I had no plan to, at all to be a journalist at the White House. It was just <laughs> dropped in my lap, actually, a special calling to be there by God, and, and that's how callings work. You don't that's plan right. to do anything, but uh, no, so this, is, uh, this started for over 10 years ago. The calling to be there, and uh, but why Israel? Why is that your so hot the, button? What, what kind of led up to this interest in Israel? Because another journalist friend of mine, he was sending me copies of the magazine Israel, My Glory. Oh yes. And I was okay. reading that. I became very intrigued. Mm-hmm. And I'm a musician first of all, so I had to learn the Israeli national anthem. But it became an emotional experience learning that anthem, and it helps me connect to the Jewish people because I know what it means. Hatikva means the hope, but, but I've learned it, I've memorized it, and the Jewish people say that I sing it better than they do. So, <laughs> But no, this, this connection I've become through this other journalist, uh, and a special interest in Israel, and he, and he told me about the special blessing from Genesis 12.3 for those that bless Israel. 
referring to Israel, those would be, they'd be blessed, you know. So. So I take it that you've made it your your business to go to Israel and meet people and yeah. see the holy sites and understand. There, there's more, of course, a lot more to Israel than the holy sites, uh, mm-hmm. as you know. I just you just showed me a picture of you with Benjamin Netanyahu. So you forged right. some some good relationships there. All right, so uh, anti-Semitism has, the burner has been turned way up worldwide. So are you watching it worldwide? Are you watching it in the United States? And is that what you're bringing to the Biden administration's uh, attention when you're in the White House? Okay, well, I I observe it worldwide. I report on anti-Semitism worldwide. And anyone can do it, like a search on the Internet for desecration of Jewish cemeteries. It's, it's, it's amazing how many Jewish cemeteries have been desecrated. Mm-hmm. We, of course, we've had instances here in the U.S. with churches and synagogues. I mean, I mean with synagogues and, and shootings in right. the synagogues. So well, um, attacks on the streets. Yeah, on the streets. Attacks at Orthodox believers in New York City and Los Angeles and restaurants. It's be, it's become amazing. In a response to Black Lives Matter, I I was looking on Amazon and I found a T-shirt that said Jewish Lives Matter. The issue is the rise of anti-Semitism, and the reason why I report on it so much is because any nation that tolerates anti-Semitism will directly affect you, you and, and my uh, religious freedoms as a Christian. So. so, you know, a lot of Christians hold to that, um, and I think the, the basic scripture there is if you, you bless Israel, you will be blessed, and if you curse Israel, you'll right. be cursed. Is that where you draw that, what you just said, is that where that comes from for you? Is what? Is that line of thinking mm-hmm. where that comes from, that particular verse? Or yeah, now this is, you know, God's promise to Abraham and, and his seed. Now, I often tell people that God's covenant was with Abraham and his seed, not Mohammed and his seed. Mm-hmm. Mohammed comes along on the scene a lot later. Uh, I don't think Abraham and Mohammed would get along right now, but uh, <laughs> on, on, on so many issues. but. Uh, this is a very serious issue, but you know, there's there's a prophet Joel three two that relates to God's anger about dividing the land, about His covenant. It says, "For God enters into judgment in the valley of Jehoshaphat, the nations that divide up His land." So, if God is angry about messing with the land and dividing it up, and it kind of reminds me about the Roman soldiers parting with Jesus' garments, casting lots. So the disrespect for God's covenant is what was at the base of the problem. And it's, it's growing in, in a serious problem. Well, of course, the pushback on this for a lot of Christians is uh, Israel is not the Jewish nation anymore. It's a secular, you right. know that Israelis are very secular for the most part, uh, anti-Christian, although that's changing. It has been for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, so that we can't, we cannot mix up, some would say, we cannot mix up the government of Israel and uh, the the people of the book. So how do you respond to that? How do you separate them? Well, I was going to comment about you know, the issue about uh, I- Israel being a, a Jewish state. Well, I know, I know about the news reports about, uh, you know, kind of pushback about that and then and those that in, in the liberal side in, in uh, Israel politics don't want this to be referred to as a Jewish state. Now, this, this can't be acceptable at all. And I'm curious about what the, the new Prime Minister Bennett is going to be doing about this matter because, uh, well, actually, you know, Naphtali Bennett just won by one vote in this recent election. So I don't see a clear mandate on this issue, but but there's a compromise in, in Israeli politics in the government. 
And so I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about this growing uh, hate for Israel and disconnecting people uh, from uh, this, you know, their land. It kind of reminds me of the Roman Emperor Hadrian in about second century AD that they call this area Palestine to disenfranchise the Jewish people from their land. And this lie has stuck for over 2,000 years. People still believe that there's a Palestinian race of people and there isn't. Yeah. Well, uh, but still back to the issue of the Israeli government is not, you know, it's not the orthodox, it's not the people of the book. It's a very secular country, very secular yes, people. Uh, although I think they're recognizing their heritage more, more and more. It's pretty amazing to be there. Uh, but so how, how do you justify as a Christian? <laughs> look, I'm, I'm on board with you. I am, just so you know this, I, I believe God's promises are for a literal Israel. But a lot of people don't believe that. They think we are Christians, believers in Christ are the new, we're the new Jerusalem, we're the true circumcised, we are God's people, and now those promises have been transferred to us. How do you respond to that? Well, I mean, people have to look at the history. You know, I just want to encourage people to study the history about Israel, and, and God's promise, His covenant is with Israel. So um, we can't negate this, and for those that say Israel's not relevant anymore, we can think about the prophecies about Jesus returning back to Jerusalem to take control. So for me, the big question is, then if Israel's not relevant, why is Jesus returning to Jerusalem? And, and he, he, thinks, he thinks it's important to reign from there as the King of Kings. And so, um, you know, it, it's really an illogical, uh, you know, argument that people make that Israel's not relevant. When, you know, we, we have clearly from history of God warning people in Israel to repent. We've had many pagan kings, leaders in Israel, and the prophets were sent to them to right. repent. That's right. And they refused to repent. That's a good point. And then here come the terrorists It's like always been kind of the norm. Know? It's been the norm that they haven't been people of the book. Yeah. Yeah, there's only been a few good kings, as you said. Right. Yeah. I mean, so just, it's a historical issue. People need, and the history is so easy to read about mm -hmm. on the internet. Mm -hmm. And anyway, anyway, we can do this. So there's no excuse for ignorance on this matter. And I think it's people just don't want to be educated on this issue, so. So the, anti the rise in anti-Semitism, the way I view this, and I, um, I don't think this is take rocket science, it, it's a, um, it is hatred of God, of course, but the two different things, I see the rise of Islam and uh, the Islamic hate for, that's uh -huh. driving a lot of this in Israel and also in the United States and the attacks but it's also the left, you know, it's, uh, it's the Black Lives Matter left Marxist mm -hmm. who hate the Jews. But don't you think the, the, the common root is just a spiritual darkness, a hatred of God? Oh, tremendous spiritual darkness uh, on, on several fronts. But, and in the White House, I, I witnessed this in a great way. You know, I was saying goodbye to President Trump's staff his last day. I was at January 19th, I think. And then we, we know things are going to really change a lot. But for, for me, it was very difficult to walk away from the White House knowing that the stroke of midnight or before, evil would be moving into the White House. This darkness will be descending upon the White House. And so it's, I can feel that the difference tremendously. Actually, it's much more intense than it was for me during the Obama times. So. Why do you think that is? Well, because, uh, because the agenda of this administration is much more pronounced socialist or Marxist, if not communist, and, and the matter of uh, our freedoms are directly under assault. You know, this administration demonizing people that don't cooperate with the vaccine 
kind of a precursor, as many Christians see, as the mark of the beast, where people are being programmed to think that uh, it's, it's the issue of, I can just imagine right now, the Antichrist saying that to be a good, don't you want to be a good world citizen and cooperate and take this mark? So that everyone will know that your health sounds is monitored, familiar. you're, you're a safe familiar. person to be sounds around, Sounds like a right? vaccine, doesn't it? Yeah, thank what? you for, sounds like a vaccine, doesn't it? Thank you for taking really, this. this That's digital, it. You did the right thing. You're a really good world citizen because you did this. The vaccine passport has really come up in the news a lot. Yeah. And, and, and I know that President Trump is concerned about this. Um, and, and we need to be concerned about forcing people to do this. And, and it reminds me of communist China. And about what this, you know, President Trump said this was a China virus. It came yeah. from China, and uh, China's uh, agenda is being played out. And our, the Democrats in the, the Congress are going on with a China agenda, I think. So, so are you, when you, when you were in the White House briefings, are you able to bring up, uh, not the briefings, but the news conferences, are you able to bring up to Jen Psaki uh, the recent developments in anti-Semitism, and is she responding to you? Okay, well, I, I'm bringing up the issue to J Jennifer Saki, the press secretary, about this. She avoids me, tries to get away from me, um, doesn't want to meet with me about this issue of anti-Semitism. And I've made it very clear about the Palestinian history and, 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 and asking these questions about what justification is there for a Palestinian state. But I also mentioned that only a personal relationship with Christ, with Jesus as the King of Kings, the King of Peace, is going to bring peace to the whole area. And many people are deceived, thinking that they can do this on their own. Some, you know, President Trump did a lot of good for Israel, but I, I saw that there was something that went south. Uh, when, he, when Jared Kushner was involved with a peace plan map showing a Palestinian state in the heartland of Israel, it seemed that things started to unravel. President Trump really did great as honoring Israel's sovereignty with the Golan Heights. I was there for that uh, announcement yeah. at the White House. But yeah, he did some wonderful things. There's no question about things. it. And I think, uh, you know, I know you know that Jerusalem actually was had posters up of President Trump. Thank you, President Trump. They had them up in, their, in their, the main areas of Jerusalem for a long time because they were so grateful for all the things that he had done. I wonder what it's like now. I haven't been back to Israel since Biden was elected. Have you? You went to what? I wonder what Israel is like now. Okay, well, Israel is, uh, of course, a lot, you know, the landscape has changed you know, politically a lot. And uh, so, um, you know, thank, thank God for President Trump uh, moving the U.S. Embassy, opening uh, uh, the US, U.S. Embassy there. I was there at that event, so that was a very historic event. But I'm really concerned about Israel with yes, the new elections and uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. Um, is going to be making a comeback, very likely. Yeah. The, the coalition government is not going to last because what happened was that that, that, that person that became the Prime Minister Naftali Bennett was willing to compromise right. and with, make a deal with the anti-Semitic era. Right. He's, yes, he's embraced the left in order to get that to get that wet, I know. It's not good. Well, uh, Mountain News. It's Intermountain Christian News, and my guest again was Dr. Anthony Harper. Really interesting, Dr. Harper. Thanks for joining me, and I wish you all the best. And it's great yeah. to join you, Sandy. These are crucial issues. I ask for people to pray for me. It's not easy at the White House for yes. me to face no. this opposition on a regular no, basis. No, it isn't. Well, God bless you for doing that.
Thank All right. You. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, the, the wrap on another day. We'll be back uh, for more stuff tomorrow. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.